Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Well, let's go to our feature interview for the afternoon and a new group of mainly concerned farmers and former farmers are really worried about what the government could do to this country with a methane tax. The plan is that animal emissions will be brought into the emissions trading scheme in 2024 and they'll be charged, farmers will be charged for those emissions from 2025. Well, that is the current Labour government's plan anyway, whether or not a change of government to a national-led coalition on the 14th of October will make any difference to that plan is, frankly, yet to be known, yet to be seen. A new group called the Methane Science Accord, though, has just been set up. And speaking for the Methane Science Accord is Hamish Bilski, himself a farmer, Gee, Hamish, I've spoken to you before, but you were down Clinton Way in South Otago, weren't you? Or, or certainly uh, the South Otago, Eastern Southland, out in that part of the, the world? Uh, yes, Peter, we're between Clinton and Balclutha, just boundary the Pomahaka River where it meets the Clutha River. So it's a lovely spot. Very good. All right. So let's talk about the Methane Science Accord. What... What brought about its formation? Because we already have Groundswell in existence who have been working very hard on this front. How come you've got this new group now set up? Well, I guess it all sort of formed out of once the industry presented their proposal of Haywaka Ekanoa to the government. And we're just so thankful that the government actually rejected that proposal because it, you know, it all started to to crumble after that. But in the meantime, there were a group of us who were concerned the direction beef and lamb were taking us. So we put in a whole lot of remits to the AGM. And so it's sort of out of those, that group of farmers who have just continued the pressure. And when we keep hearing the rhetoric about um, farmers being taxed for the, for the methane, um, when you actually go and look at the the updated current science out of the IPCC report, um, we're all working on outdated science, and 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 once you take that into account, um, it all becomes irrelevant, and it's just completely political why they keep the old science in there to overstate the effect of methane, uh, just so that I don't know, so they can. Um, I'm not even sure why. Why would why would you want to actually tax farmers? I'm I'm still baffled at, at the reason. Yes, I think so many people are. Uh, let's talk about the so-called levy bodies, the lobbying groups for uh, the sheep and beef farmers. That's uh, beef and lamb, and then for the dairy farmers, there's a group called Dairy NZ. Now these guys get lots and lots of money from you guys. I think. It's been worked out that Dairy NZ's income is upwards of $50 million a year in terms of the, the levies they take off the dairy farmers. I don't know what uh, beef and lamb's income is, but there's a heck of a lot of money going to a group of people in a Wellington office who supposedly have the job of lobbying the government uh, on behalf of their constituents. So are you a bit perturbed that Beef and Lamb NZ are not doing the job that you want them to do in terms of looking after your interests, your interests 
uh, being that you shouldn't be having to pay this uh, this emissions tax. Uh, look, if it's backed by science and reality and has really good outcomes for our land, our ecosystems and our people, I'm not going to argue. I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board for trying to change some of the practices or management on our farms that have what I would call holding us back in, in our personal context. But uh, for the life of me, I cannot understand why you... Uh, and I can also understand why politicians and bureaucrats think this is just some wonderful scheme um, based on just numbers and data and the same sort of figures that gets us into these problems in the first place. I can understand them in the ideological world. But when your own farming industry personnel also get together and um, agree on a tax, um, that's, just, that's just too far. So in the end, it ends up being farmers fighting against these so-called farming leaders or, or industry representatives. And over the last three years, I mean, you, you'd have to agree, the amount of stealth and propaganda that has been put out in all facets to do with science, to do with fear, to do with climate, um, and, and under COVID restrictions, you know, wearing masks so no one can communicate through Zoom meetings, so you can't communicate properly during Zoom meetings. So it was all pushed through with with pretty much zero discussion. I'm not talking about consultation. Consultation is just a garbage word in my opinion. Discussion. Let's really talk about it and spend some time. None of that happened. And every time we tried, we were shut down and our questions were not answered. And all that does is light a fire in people. And that is how we've come together as a group. So we're just not going to take it anymore. Well, there's a couple of things that we need to discuss, Hamish. Firstly, we'll come to the science itself, and I know you are the methane science yep. accord, and the IPCC has got some evidence that you guys have seen and which is there in black and white, which everybody should be very, very aware of. But the first thing I want to talk about, Hamish, is this Paris Accord. Article 2 of the Paris Accord says that any steps any country takes to mitigate uh, greenhouse gas emissions should not affect food production. Yet what is this doing? This is saying to farmers, we're going to tax you for your emissions, therefore the only way that you can pay it is to reduce the amount of stock you have in your farms. Therefore it reduces the amount of food being produced. So can you figure out why Article 2 of the Paris Accord is not being invoked to stop the methane tax going on to farmers? Peter, nothing makes sense. The tax that was imposed on us was a tax on all of the emissions without any compensation for the carbon dioxide that gets drawn down every day by our pastures and our trees. So it's just a beautiful cycle. But the, the tax didn't incentivize us to drop stock units because if we were paying say five thousand dollars per year and we dropped ten percent we would pay four and a half thousand dollars per year where's the incentive for me to drop my stock units so to drop 
10% of my stock units was going to cost me $30,000 in gross farm income. So I'm like, I'm going to increase my stock numbers to help me pay for the methane tax. There were all these unintended, unintended consequences that no one thought through. I would have thought if you were well and above over your biological optimum, you know, with lots of imported feed and nitrogen fertilizer, well, if you drop 10%, then you would would come to a level where you didn't have to pay a tax. But that wasn't the case. So it was completely ludicrous in the way they set it up. So it wasn't going to drop food production anyway, and it wasn't going to solve any problems in dropping of stocking rates. So this is what I can't understand. The second thing is um, we're already had We've already had 2 million stock units come out of sheep and beef in the last five years. And this coming year, we've probably got another half a million. We're already just getting the guts ripped out of sheep and beef anyway. Dairy is slowly decreasing and being bought or swapped over with horticulture and urban sprawl, which is even um, worse for emissions, if you want to put it that way, um, building more houses in concrete. And so, therefore, we're already dropping food production just because of our ETS settings, which means that people can just go buy um, whole farms, productive farms, and plant them out in pine trees. And, and even if they are going to harvest them, they're still going to make um, a huge amount of money just off the carbon credits alone. So it actually stacks up. And um, so nothing is actually achieving what they intend to achieve by a farming tax. We're already getting completely slaughtered in our, um, in our dropping of our stock numbers for sheep and beef. So I, sorry, I just can't understand the, the thinking behind, behind it all. It's not a thinking, it's an ideology. All right, so let's, let's now go to what the IPCC says. And I've done uh, a lot of broadcasting on this particular issue in another role I have with Groundswell. Uh, it's been discovered that on page 1016 in Chapter 7 of the IPCC's Sixth Assessment Report, AR6, which was released in, when was that, in uh, September last year, it says that the effect of methane using the Global Warming Potential 100, GWP 100, which is a complicated way of saying what the impact of methane is compared to CO2 over 100 years, uh, has actually been overstated. The impact of methane on global surface temperature has been overstated by three to four times. Now, what more evidence do you need? Uh, <laughs> Hamish, what more evidence uh, do you well, need that methane should not be taxed? Again, it astounds me at the mentality of our so-called leaders and bureaucrats. Our 12-year-old boy can read that paper and understand what it's talking about. It, so people say, oh, well, I'm not a scientist, so how can I have any authority on what I'm talking about? I say, I don't need to be a scientist. I just have to be able to read a research paper and we can all read it. It's there in black and white. And so if the government and MFE, Ministry for the Environment, base their policies out of IP... CC reports, then it seems to be um, baffling as to why they leave out this um, new methane metric. And also, um, 
Yeah, I, I just don't understand. It's, it's completely political. And when, they, when our industry leaders come and say, oh, we're, we're science-led organisation, my first response is, no, you're not. You're a politically-led organisation being dictated to by the government at the time, whereas the science is really, really clear. Even our own scientist, Dr David Frame, who should just deliver the science, is also agreeing that farmers should pay for their, for their emissions. And so he starts to wade into the political debate because if he has an alternative view, well, he's gone. You know, it's just this constant pressure of towing the narrative um, and, and the more you speak the narrative, the more it becomes truth. And I guess this is why, again, we've just got together and said, no, well, it's, it's, it's not the truth. It's a pack of lies. And um, let's front up to, to what it really says. All right. So you want to take some action on this. You've decided that Groundswell, which has done a lot of work in this area, uh, is maybe moving off into some other fields as well regarding farm plans and environmental plans and the like. So you've set up this other group called the Methane Science Accord, and there's a few familiar names in there, uh, Hamish, people that I've talked to in my Groundswell role, people like uh, Owen Jennings, Deborah Alexander. Owen Jennings, of course, the former um, president, national president of Federated Farmers. Uh, then we've got Derek Daniel, well-known Ram breeder from uh, the Wider Rapper. We have Jane Smith, outspoken farmer from North Otago. Uh, an old mate of mine called Hamish Carswell, who I know is <laughs> very stroppy. He's a farmer in the back blocks of Palmerston and East Otago. So there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of good farming knowledge in this group here. How much cut through do you think you're likely to get, Hamish? What, 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 do, you want, what do you want to happen now? Yeah, and, and along with Hamish Delator, um, Helen Mandino, Neil Henderson, Joe Sexton. Neil Henderson has been on this for 15, 20 years. I, I remember reading letters to the editor. Um, he's had um, remits to beef and lamb. You know, I applaud guys like that, and it's it's great to have them on board as well and, and supporting and, and their knowledge um, and wisdom to help to help fight this. But... I don't know. All we want is is people of New Zealand to actually understand the consequences of this. Because you imagine you sell carpet or, um, let's say, woolen insulation for houses. Well, when you go and do your carbon footprint and you're using GWP 128 times more potent, then, of course, your product looks poor. So... In the big textile um, measurements around the world globally, wool's near the bottom because they use GWP 100 metrics. So carpet and wool products actually look as though it's worse for the environment than all the synthetic fibres. So <laughs> which, is is a, which is absurd. That's absurd, it, isn't it? It's, it's it's completely absurd. So. We're, we're fighting for the for the carpet companies, um, clothing companies, everybody who buys woolen clothing, and then you go to chefs, um, you know, all around New Zealand who want to market their meat, the story behind it, how it's just a wonderful natural product, but in behind it they're sort of struggling to come up with 
you know, these proper carbon figures because it makes meat look so bad, um, which is completely untrue. So, you know, when all our, when our meat companies start using this metric, when our dairy companies start using this metric, it starts to paint us as climate villains. And we are not. And this is the other thing. From 2005 to now, New Zealand has less ruminants. So the, less, the less ruminant animals, that, less less sheep and, and cows on the farm. Less ruminant animals. Yep. So, so the, the context behind that um, GWP star of you know less of a factor by three or four times than 28 times um, is if you're ecstatic or falling in your methane emissions. And so New Zealand fits that bill perfectly. So there, there's abs- we should be shouting this from the rooftops on how much this saves New Zealand in our, in our costings. Also, how much less investment we need to put into methane. And let's put our investment into building, how do we build more soil carbon? How do we um, use fertilizers more effectively? less nitrogen fertilizer, how do we, um, what sort of winter crops do we grow that can, um, you know, not allow so much sediment into our waterways or or carbon being lost. There's so many investments that we can put our money into rather than this um, endless vacuum of trying to reduce methane and livestock. And the other thing, you know, if you're going to use a seaweed, you then have to grow it, you then have to harvest it, you then have to transport it. So all that diesel is used <laughs> yeah, in I get processing it. all these gadgets and all these um yeah these so-called solutions to a problem that's this just doesn't exist in any major way and hamish you're a you're a regenerative farmer aren't you so you know all about how to naturally regenerate your property your grasses don't you and your soils um i mean that again is such a um the fiery topic at times, but you know, we six years ago we we I guess transformed the way we managed our farm into into the five principles of of regenerative management, and I could see some of the things that we were doing that were degrading our ecosystems and our soils and our and our water. So we set about address addressing that, and that's not about telling others what to do. It's just that's what that's the, the revelation I had, and I've learned so much about um, diverse species, about, uh, you know, we can grow a whole lot more pasture by just rotating our animals earlier with using lambs and stuff like that. But then we run into problems with pasture quality, so our animal performance then can be affected. So we've had to learn how to adjust so many things. It's not black and white, and I... Uh, what also concerns me is that you get people like, um, you know, uh, Greenpeace, who then start promoting regenerative ag without any idea on the context of how it all works. And then it gets politicised, and then suddenly you start division between farmers. So when it all comes back to it, I am right behind all farmers and all farming we are totally in this together, and if we actually stick together and all say no to com- these complete draconian 
regulations, then we actually paralyze the system because they can't take us all to court. You know, it's and, and, and where we should be better and improve. And when you go around and look at the winter grazing, say this year, you drive through Southland, the Southland Regional Council have done such a good job at educating their farmers. You know, they've got their critical source areas fenced off and the, the research is so clear that if you've got your critical source areas unworked and fenced off, you actually reduce sediment getting into the waterways by like up to 80%. I mean, just that one management practice alone has such a huge outcome. So when our regional councils work with our farmers, the, the outcomes are, are impressive. But when you start telling other people how to farm or regulations that have no um, real outcomes, then of course you get fight back and you will never get um, buy-in and you won't get change. And so to, to tax the naturally occurring methane from an animal is, um, I, I, to me, it's just almost straight out of a communist playbook. And I, I'm, that's probably a bit harsh, but it, yeah. it achieves nothing. We are, we are attacking um, natural food and, and natural animals. And everybody talks about how we want more natural food, less processed food. And so you're, you're, you're making these wonderfully designed ruminants um, villains of which I, I totally reject and um, so many other farmers and scientists and people reject as well. But we, we're likely to have a change of government on the 14th of October, uh, Hamish. The, the National Party, even though they say they're committed to zero carbon by 2030, et cetera, et cetera, even though that is an impossible, net zero carbon by 2030 is an impossible target to reach, they appear, or their agriculture spokesman, Todd McClay, appears to be pretty sympathetic to your cause. So I have asked him in recent days whether or not that they will be taxing farmers for emissions. And... The impression I get is that they they won't be. So doesn't that give you some hope that if you guys all get out and vote national or act that uh, you won't have this tax imposed on you in 2025? Or don't you trust them? I don't trust them at all. I mean, what, why have they said, oh, we're going to put it out to 2030? Why don't they just come out and say, the science is clear that this is not the issue what we thought it used to be? Um. They are they are not bold at all. They are so scared of public opinion, and also what astounds me is they say, well, overseas people, overseas countries are still using GWP 100, so we can't really um, fall out of line with what overseas countries are doing. But that just doesn't make any sense. On the other, on one hand, they say, right, we want to be leaders in our um, climate policy, so let's tax the emissions from farmers where no other country in the world is going to do that. In fact, countries like America are encouraging and incentivizing their farmers to put their, their livestock out onto pasture and they, they're actually subsidizing fencing and water and stuff like that so they can put these systems in place. Uh, just astounds me. 
And and yet, on the other hand, they say, oh, we're not going to be leaders in uptaking the latest and current science. So it's all a political game. When I talk to the political candidates behind the scenes, they're all just so cagey and cautious about upsetting Auckland or the urban folk or that vote. Um, so it's totally politically led. So I have no trust in our politicians at or the current ones at all. And and also for the last three years, with the say with the COVID policies that were put in place, they were all in it together. And look at the consequences now with excess deaths, with uh, a complete messed up health system, an education system on its knees. You know, like the outcomes are all bad. And so I, I whenever you implement policies, you have to look at the whole picture and unintended consequences that nobody seems to understand these days. It's just a complete, they live in a, in a silo of, I don't know, it's just, it's toxic groupthink. And um, we have to break out of that. And as a, as a population, try and get a, dare I say it, a groundswell of support behind um, uh, thinking. I mean, another example is the government's, putting in over the next, I don't know how many years, four or five years, 338 million into, you know, into reducing methane and ruminants. How many hospitals, how many well-paid teachers, um, education systems could we um, help put in place for 338 million? It just does my head in, Peter. Yeah, and the other thing is the research into that particular process of feeding animals different stuff so that they don't uh, fart and burp so much has been decried by Jim Gibbs, who's a very highly qualified Dr. Jim Gibbs, lecturer at Lincoln University that I featured on uh, my Groundswell radio show. He says that it's scientifically impossible to be able to develop that kind of feed. If you're going to be barn feeding, sure, but pasture feeding systems for ruminant animals cannot reduce methane no matter what you feed them so you know uh, if, if he's that, saying that, that I, I just don't see what's why we're spending so much money on on trying to develop something that can't exist oh peter it's such a good point because at the moment obviously we're, we're sheep breeders and at the moment they're taking these gas chambers around to farmers and putting these poor sheep in these chambers to, to measure the methane at a snapshot in time and they've been doing this for 15, 20 years. And these are the these are the findings of their research is um, a, a negative correlation is a smaller, skinnier animal that grows more wool. <laughs> uh, it just astounds me. So if we breed for low methane, we're breeding small rumen sizes. Therefore, these animals need higher quality feed to maintain and function at, at, a, at a decent um, productivity. And in the end, New Zealand farmers will just be breeding for skinnier sheep. And that is the complete opposite of what we need to do <laughs> when we're up against the yeah. weather yeah. Um, and, and the climate challenges. Yeah. We, we need our animals to eat, to eat rough, and lower quality pastures so that it actually 
builds the quality to grow our lambs and our young stock better. And so all this research has major negative consequences, but because the government pours money into it, none of the scientists, and these are the same scientists that have um, basically helped us breed the most efficient sheep in the world, where back in 1990 we had 70 million. Now we have, I don't know what it is now, 22 million dropping fast, but only 80%, but only a 20% drop in um, meat and wool production. I mean, that's just such an extraordinary story. These scientists have helped produce such a wonderful um, animal, and yet these same scientists just get this money thrown at them. So the hypothesis isn't, um, you know, can we breed a robust sheep that has a lower emissions? The hypothesis is, can we breed a low methane sheep, period? Right. Don't worry about any unintended consequences. Now, <laughs> all these all these breeders are now um, gathering all this data and they are helping the scientists come up with a breeding value that then gets turned against farmers because the only reason we as a farmers will use these low methane sheep is if either we're paid because it's so-called public good or we're taxed. Otherwise, there is no valid reason for any of us to use low methane genetics. Does that make sense, Peter? It does. It does. All right. Let's talk then about the methane science accord and your course of action. Uh, you've got this group together, your relatively new group, just uh, officially launched in the last few days. What do you want to do? What are you going to do? Who do you want to get your message to? How are you going to do it? So we've got a website, um, Methane Accord, and what we want to do is we've got a letter that we've put together just stating the facts, and we just want people to support it. So so we want to go to the website. So that letter then leads you to the website, and so we want to put that letter out on social media, um, and, and email it through all our contacts, etc. And we just want as many people, urban, rural, whoever you are, to click on it and join. And we're, what we're saying is if we get, say, half a million people joining up to this accord, then that puts um, political pressure on the science, on the, on the politicians to change their policy. So if they put their policy uh, in place around GWP star, it changes, it, it, I mean, I'm, I'm being a bit maybe um, optimistic, but it should start to change the way we look and invest in, in methane. And, um, you know, it, even even in, our, in the research papers, this is our own scientists in their own research papers, I've got it quoted here, and methane breeding values include in a maternal selection index at a hypothetical cost of $100 per CO2 equivalent using GWP100. Now, that just astounds me. A scientific paper using science that is irrelevant to our context. 
So all they want to do, they, they're wanting to, to come up with a pricing mechanism so we can put it in the index so we can start the pressure going on farmers to use these rams. And so all these policies from government affect everything that we're doing in New Zealand. And, and also, the you know, you hear the, the number spouted off that emissions from agriculture are 50% of New Zealand's Greenhouse gases yeah, that, and 37% from methane. Yeah, that's, that's, well, that's false. It's just completely ludicrous. I mean, here you've got a cycling um, natural gas, and yet they're spinning the propaganda that, that it's half of our problem. I mean, so when you bring into account GWP star and also other science that's out there that's starting to say, well, maybe it's even less of a problem than we thought, well, suddenly you're down to 5% of New Zealand's greenhouse gases. And so, you know, the, the other interesting observation is every year since 1990, New Zealand has used more diesel and petrol every year. Maybe not in COVID. There was some, for some crazy reasons. But New Zealand's methane cloud in the atmosphere, if that's what you want to call it, is reducing. So on one hand, they are wanting farmers to reduce at ridiculous rates, yet as a country, we're still increasing our diesel and fuel use. So yeah, it, it, it just it, spouts of hypocrisy. It does not make sense. All righty, Hamish, thank you so much for talking with us. So it's methane-accord.co.nz, the Methane Science Accord. Yeah is the website. Great talking with you, Hamish. Best wishes and long may um, actions such as yours continue until you get the success that you so uh, thoroughly deserved. Great talking with you again. Hamish Bilski, a farmer from South Otago here on Reality Check Radio. Peter Williams from 1 o'clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Right now, free speech is under heavy attack in New Zealand, with the government constantly devising new ways to enforce censorship. To revive Honest Media and support RCR, join our Foundation Membership Club today. To learn more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members.